outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is right now turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content, a lot of great offers on turkey gear at TheMeatEater.com, and even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at TheMeatEater.com. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. You know that old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's great advice for international travel, but it doesn't apply when you're being attacked by a rabid fox. Earlier this month, a Virginia woman named Shirley Phillips was standing in her driveway when she felt something fuzzy brush up against her leg. She assumed it was the neighbor cat that liked to nap under her vehicle until she felt the teeth sink right into her heel. She looked down and said, quote, that ain't no cat. She was right. A gray fox was attacking her leg and when she reached down to fend it off, it latched onto her finger and wouldn't let go. So she decided to fight fire with fire. She grabbed the fox by the scruff of its neck with her other hand and sank her teeth into its ear. Not accustomed to being bitten by humans, the fox began to release its grasp. Phillips was able to pry its jaws off her finger, set it in her car, and close the door. When officers arrived, they found the fox pacing around the front seats of the car and attacking the door handle. They managed to secure the fox with a catch pole, take it to a safe location, and shoot it. The fox, unsurprisingly, tested positive for rabies, and Phillips began the four-dose rabies vaccine treatment. She sustained cuts all over her ankles and fingers, along with 11 stitches, but is expected to be okay. This week, we've got the Constitution, cyanide, sharpshooters, and so much more, but first I'm going to tell you about my week, and, you know, I'm going to backtrack on what I said last week and tell you more about Conneaut, Ohio, and the muster in the marsh, and hanging out with all these awesome folks that came out to support BHA, some of whom were from the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, learned a lot about issues and good things that are happening in Ohio, including some much-needed and super cool, pretty darn large public land acquisitions, lots of working land components there, so uh, nothing to be afraid of. And it just adds more access and opportunity for, as I found out, the people of Ohio who love to hunt and fish, angle, trap. They kind of do it all over there. Lots of foraging. They're taking advantage of all the things out there around that greater Lake Erie region. It's super, super cool to see. So again, big thank you to the moonshiners, the brewers, the trappers, the anglers, the knife makers. And the snapping turtle skinners that uh, showed up out there and taught us all about what they did. Super, super cool. Big thanks to Covered Bridge Outfitters uh, who have a bunch of cool stuff going on 
Uh, if you like to shoot geese or hunt bucks or fish for a variety of species out there, real cool folks, cool operation. Certainly some uh, folks in the uh, guide shack there that remind me of me, which was uh, cool to see how some things don't change. And for the better, I'm talking about. Got to do some angling out there on Big Lake Erie. It's really phenomenal to be on a body of water like that, even though Lake Erie is not one of the biggest Great Lakes. But man, you know how big the Great Lakes are on paper, but they just blow you away when you're out there on the water. So really, really cool. Thanks again to all the good folks in Ohio and the folks who came across the Pennsylvania line and the West Virginia folks and the Virginia folks and the Kentucky folks including uh, my long-lost good buddy, Kevin Murphy. He came up to represent Small Game Nation and folks who like to run things with dogs. Great catching up with him. Can't wait to see everybody next year. Hopefully I can make that happen. For more information on Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, head on over to backcountryhunters.org. Anyway, lots to cover. So we're going to hit the law enforcement desk first. A Virginia man is suing the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources along with three individual game wardens for what he says was an unlawful search and seizure of his property. Josh Highlander says game wardens ignored no trespassing signs, entered his 30-acre property in southern Virginia, and stole his trail camera. Highlander has not been charged or cited with any wildlife crimes, and the DWR has yet to return his camera. His lawsuit, filed in Henrico County Circuit Court, says that the DWR, quote, has a long-standing policy and practice of seizing privately owned cameras from posted private land without the owner's consent. He says such actions violate his rights under the Virginia Constitution and that the game wardens should have secured a warrant before entering his property or taking his cameras. The Department of Wildlife Resources has so far refused to comment on the case, citing the pending lawsuit, but wardens in Virginia, like wardens in many states, are permitted to trespass onto private property based on something called the, quote, open fields doctrine. This term comes from a 1924 case called Hester v. United States, in which the Supreme Court ruled, quote, the special protection accorded by the Fourth Amendment to the people in their persons, houses, papers, and effects is not extended to the open fields. Law enforcement officers of all kinds need a warrant to search a house and the immediate perimeter, what the law calls the curtilage, but they do not need a warrant to enter privately owned land. The Virginia State Supreme Court echoed that U.S. Supreme Court decision in a 1923 case called McLannan v. Chaplin. Highland and his team acknowledge this precedent, but they want the court to overturn those previous decisions. They say these 100-year-old rulings flout the clear meaning of state and federal constitutions, ignore the framers' historical aversion to unconstrained searches of private property, and disregard the common law. They say these decisions were, quote, wrongly decided and should be overruled. If this scenario sounds familiar, there's a reason. Back in episode 153, we covered a similar case out of Tennessee, In that case, a court ruled that game wardens were not allowed to enter private property to prosecute a wildlife baiting investigation. The judge's opinion declared that the Tennessee law upholding the open fields doctrine leads to, quote, intolerable risk of abusive searches and is unconstitutional, unlawful, and unenforceable. It's worth noting that a legal outfit called the Institute for Justice is behind both of these lawsuits. They're bringing these cases as part of their, quote, project on the Fourth Amendment which seeks to, quote, 
protect the right for Americans to be secure from unreasonable searches and seizures. Now, if you're of age, okay, and you're in school and you're listening to this podcast, which I've been told a lot of folks uh, have gotten as like some required listening material for certain courses, you know, you could uh, have a little game with how many times I say quote if you want to re-listen. Anyway, I don't think anyone would argue that we should ignore the Fourth Amendment and allow law enforcement to enter our homes without a warrant. After all, that's one of the reasons we decided to break up with the British. Happy belated Independence Day, by the way. But it's also true that unlike in other parts of the world, landowners do not own the wildlife that live on their properties. Right? You get what I'm saying? Wildlife is owned by the public in the good old United States not each private entity. So it makes sense that game wardens would be able to investigate wildlife crime on private properties. And that's like the tug of war here. Private property is sacred in the United States, for sure and certain. But so is our wildlife. Now we're waiting for more details to emerge in this particular case. Game wardens were on Highland's property because just a few hours before, they had cited Highland's brother for hunting turkey over bait. Highland had a food plot on his property, but he says he shot a turkey that morning, quote, hundreds of yards away from his food plot. The camera the game warden seized was on that food plot, and they also seized cameras used by Highland's brother and father on different properties. It sounds like they suspected all three Highlands of breaking wildlife laws. So even though they never cited Josh Highland with any wrongdoing, it makes me think there might be more to this story. Still, I also wonder whether the court will side with Highland because Game Warden seized his camera. It's one thing to trespass on private property without a warrant, it's another thing to actually take someone's possessions. The Virginia Bill of Rights prohibits unreasonable seizures of private property, and the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution gives the people the right to be secure in their, quote, persons, houses, papers, and effects. The word effects just means personal possessions. Trail cameras, along with the memory cards and photos they contain, seem like they would qualify. Supreme Courts in Montana, Mississippi, New York, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington have all restricted game warden access in one way or another. Along with this case, and the one in Tennessee, another similar case in Pennsylvania is working its way through the system. As always, we'll keep you in the loop. I just want to point out here for context, again, the case that uh, removed the ability for game wardens to access private property under the open fields doctrine here in Montana was a real deal poaching case of a trophy bull elk in a very hard to draw unit, something that people who like to hunt are very sensitive to. In that particular instance, you know, it really sucks for us hunters that folks with a chunk of private ground could illegally take a bull elk that all of us have been waiting years and years and years to apply for and just have the ability to legally pursue, right? And that's where the open fields doctrine is a big can of worms. Private land, public wildlife. And it wouldn't be that big of a deal if we all just behaved. Moving on to the cat desk. If there's one group of people who dislikes feral cats more than me, It is the Australians. They have some amazing native bird species in the land down under, but many of those species are being threatened by feral cat predation. That's why the state of Western Australia has decided to unleash a new cat-killing machine to help reduce the number of wild kitties on the landscape. 
The machine, cleverly named the Felixer, will be deployed throughout the state. According to the newspaper Western Australia Today, the Felixer identifies feral cats from their silhouette and their gait and fires a sticky gel shot containing 8 milligrams of 1080 poison. 1080 poison is a colorless salt that tastes like sodium chloride and is commonly used as a rodenticide. Cats are obsessed with self-grooming, so the felines ingest the poison when they lick the sticky substance off their fur. Self-grooming traps are supposedly more effective than traditional devices because cats can be hesitant to take bait or enter traps. The box-like machine also plays audio lures to attract cats, which I assume are similar to predator calls. The Western Australian government has worked with the Felixer for years to ensure it won't harm non-target animals, and they're apparently satisfied with the results. The first comprehensive efficacy trial of the device successfully targeted 72 cats without killing any native bilbies, birds, quals, rabbits, or baytongs. It did kill one kangaroo, but researchers detected a 66% reduction in feral cat activity within two months. In 2020, researchers from the University of New South Wales used the Felixer device on a 26-hectare fenced-off property in South Australia. After six weeks, researchers found that two-thirds of the 50 feral cats on the property had been killed by the device and no other wildlife had been harmed. One of the study's lead researchers, Catherine Mosby, told the Daily Mail that while the device is not perfect, it does have a much higher target specificity than traps. Traditional traps can control for non-target mortality through bait and trap size, but they can't be nearly as picky as the Felixer. Of course, not everyone is a fan of the device. The animal rights group In Defense of Animals launched a petition to stop the, quote, madness of what it calls robotic poison death machines. They say humans are more responsible for declining numbers of native species, and they want the government to institute trap-neuter return programs and mandatory spay and neuter legislation for all, quote, cat companions. Uh, you know, I agree with the mandatory spay and neuter legislation for, quote, cat companions, but, I mean, do I have to tell the joke? Everybody knows it, right? Trap-neuter return programs do not work because... Neutering and spaying cats prevent them from replicating, reproducing, right? And they're not trying to reproduce all these prey species to death, right? They're eating them. They're not uh, fornicating with them. Ugh. Anyway, according to some estimates, feral cats across Australia kill 3.1 million mammals, 1.8 million reptiles, and 1.3 million birds in Australia every single day. In the state, 36 mammal, 11 reptile, and 22 bird species are vulnerable to predation by feral cats. The Felixer is not new. You can find articles about the device going all the way back to 2019, but it's in the news again because the Western Australian government just announced the machine's widespread deployment as part of a 7.6 million five-year plan to manage invasive feral cats. Wildlife managers plan to use the device in areas of high cat traffic, and where biologists are trying to reintroduce threatened species. I am dying to know the long-term effects of the Felixer. There's definitely lots of areas that I know of where one could be put to good use, including my uh, mother's barn. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that sea foam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, 
Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Moving on to the cyanide desk. In other controversial wildlife management news, the Center for Biological Diversity is petitioning the Bureau of Land Management to prohibit the use of what the organization calls, quote, cyanide bombs. The actual name for these devices is the M44. Wildlife managers have used M44s for decades around livestock to kill coyotes and reduce calf predation. The device contains a small spring-loaded charge of sodium cyanide powder that kills whatever sticks its nose close enough to investigate. The devices have killed pet dogs and other non-target animals, but no humans have ever been killed. Still, 
76 groups, including the Humane Society and Project Coyote, are petitioning the BLM to ban their use. Their efforts were galvanized by a tragic incident a few years ago in which a teenage boy and his dog stumbled upon an M44. The dog died instantly. While the boy wasn't hurt, his family believes he was only saved due to the direction of the wind. As a result of this incident, a group of three Democratic Congress people also introduced a law in the U.S. Congress that would ban M44s from all federal public land. The petition to ban M44s claims that 42 people were exposed to the cyanide between 1984 and 2015. 25 of those people were federal employees and 17 were members of the public. None of them died, but they experienced pains, dizziness, and blisters along with pet dogs, raccoons, possums, and skunks, which are occasionally killed. The petitions believe the ranchers and wildlife managers should use other methods of predator control, such as fences, guard dogs, and electrified netting. Ranchers point out that they already use many of these methods, and that M44s are a handy tool in areas where direct control work is difficult, such as around calves or lambs. They also take issue with the term cyanide bomb. M44s are designed to shoot the toxin directly into the animal's mouth. They don't spread the poison over a wide area. We'll see if the feds pay much attention to this petition. M44s have been used for a long, long time. And if they were causing widespread harm, it uh, seems like we'd know that by now. I have been on plenty of properties where uh, these M44s have been set. I have never had any bird dog issues. Obviously, it'd be like a horrid, horrid, gross bummer. And I feel for this kid and his dog big time. As we see with uh, trapping regulations just about everywhere, lots of signage involved with the deployment of M44s typically, or, you know, that rancher's going to grab you by the arm and say, hey, this is what's going on out there if you have permission to hunt. It's their business on private property. Um, when these things get set out in public grazing allotments, lots of signage. Doesn't mean mistakes can't happen. When they do, it's a real bummer. Moving on to the ancient history desk. Could you kill a bird with a double-pointed wooden stick thrown like a boomerang? If you were an early human living 300,000 years ago in Germany, archaeologists believe the answer is yes. All the way back in 1994, a large cache of wooden tools was found at a site in Germany called Schoningen. But it hasn't been until recently that researchers have conducted a systemized analysis of those tools, and they've made some interesting discoveries. One of the tools, for example, is a short stick made from a spruce branch that's been sharpened at both ends. It's a simple tool, but it demonstrates advanced woodworking skills. Early human hunters would have had to cut and strip off the bark, carve it into an aerodynamic shape, scrape away more of the surface, season the wood to avoid cracking and warping, and sand it for easier handling. Researchers believe this tool was used for hunting because it was found alongside herbivores that were butchered along a lakeshore. Early humans would have hunted medium-sized game like red and roe deer and possibly fast, small prey, including hare and birds that were otherwise difficult to catch. Researchers think the stick would have been thrown rotationally, like a boomerang, and may have enabled early humans to throw as far as 30 meters. The slightly curved 30-inch stick is relatively lightweight, but it could have been launched at high velocities to stun an animal or break its legs. The researchers didn't say if they took to stick throwing themselves, but they do base their assumptions on other real-world experiments with throwing sticks. What's more, the fine surface, carefully shaped points, and polish from handling suggest this was a piece of personal kit with lots of repeated use, rather than a quickly made tool that was carelessly discarded. 
It was found apart from other tools, but the lack of damage to the stick makes researchers think it was lost during use rather than discarded. Sort of like when you lose an arrow in the underbrush. Researchers will continue to analyze the other wooden tools found at this site, but at the very least, this throwing stick gives us another window into how humans have harvested meat for literally hundreds of thousands of years. Moving on to the mailbag. Listener Kenyon Harris wrote in this week with some of the news from his neck of the woods. Tigake, South Carolina. The city council recently voted to hire sharpshooters to reduce the area's deer population. There are almost 900 deer in the 4.5 square mile suburb of Charlotte, and city leaders worry about traffic accidents, damage to the local ecosystem, and horror of horrors, obstacles to golfing and gardening. In all seriousness, too many deer in an area can be a major headache, which is why the city is applying to the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources for a permit to hire sharpshooters. The idea is causing controversy in the small community for the reasons you might expect. Some think it's the best way to control the deer. Others worry about the safety of firearms being discharged so close to homes, while others think the city should sterilize the deer population, which would totally work and not be a giant black hole to taxpayer dollars. Anyway, Kenyon has a different complaint about the plan. He says city leaders never even considered giving local bow hunters a crack at some free venison. Bow hunting doesn't introduce the danger of stray bullets, and I'm sure there are plenty of hunters in the surrounding area who would answer the call of duty. Hunters are used to manage wildlife on a broad scale, but there's lots of precedent for hunters being called in to manage specific situations. In Ohio, for example, Nine special deer hunts have been announced in areas where deer are overeating native Ohio plants. The hunts will take place in nature preserves around the state, and hunters will have to attend an informational meeting and pay $5 to have their names entered into a drawing. Some preserves will allow guns, while others will only allow archery equipment. Depending on the situation on the ground, hunters will have the opportunity to harvest does only, or either sex tags will be issued. It seems like Tiga K city leaders could institute a similar program, especially given the fact that this will likely be a multi-year process anyway. Hunters would have to apply for a lottery or purchase a tag, which would pay for the cost of the program, and safety concerns could be alleviated by making the hunters take a training course to hunt deer in the suburban setting. The city council would only have to look a little further north to Virginia to find a model of urban deer hunting. I'm sure some local residents would oppose the idea, Archery hunting almost always involves some tracking, and I'm sure some folks don't like the idea of a wounded deer in their backyard. But it could have the same community money, and it would allow local residents to solve their own problem rather than rely on sharpshooters hired by the state. Whatever you think about this story, if you live in Tiga K or the surrounding area, get in touch with the city council. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. One last thing I gotta mention. And this came to my attention from uh, my dear old buddy, Kelsey Clevenberg, who is an avid golfer these days. Don't ask me why. They're golfing cohorts. My buddy Kelsey Clevenberg and my buddy Ryan Thompson wrote in and said, hey, a dude from Georgia currently leading the Open, in parentheses, one of the biggest golf tourneys of the year by a bunch, is a passionate bow hunter. He has the British press's panties in a bunch. This is from the Guardian UK. In one of the more bizarre major press conference departures of recent times, the 36-year-old explained his penchant for killing animals. He missed the cut at the Masters and immediately slaughtered a pig and a turkey. Here's his quote. 
I've been a hunter my entire life, he boasted. I enjoy the strategy of it. We eat a lot of wild meat at my house, so I enjoy butchering and I do a lot of hunting. Champions traditionally drink from the claret jug. One is left to ponder what on earth Brian Harmon may do with the famous trophy. The tourney, being held in the English town of Hoy Lake, where they've dubbed the player Brian Harmon, the butcher of Hoy Lake, which may be one of the best things to ever come out of golfing. I was able to get a hold of Brian. Uh, He seems in high spirits. The Brits attacking his way of life, who happen to live in a country where they can buy meat shot by other people, do not seem to be bothering him. He's looking forward to a good bow season. And uh, I just want to say, keep at it, Brian. Keep swinging away for the good old U.S. of A. Even though we give uh, golfers a lot of crap here on the show, uh, you know, you're proving that there's some good ones out there. We appreciate you. Go get them. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, don't forget to go to www.SteelDealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is right now turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content, a lot of great offers on turkey gear at TheMeatEater.com, and even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at TheMeatEater.com.